Welcome to Walking in Faith with Bishop Daly. I'm Bishop Tom Daly, the seventh bishop of the Diocese of Spokane here in Eastern Washington State. And joining me is a familiar face for those of you who were very faithful in listening to the Bishop and Vickers. Unfortunately, all sponsorships were dropped and the show had to be canceled. But um, we had a year's extension for now Monsignor Brian Mee. It was formerly Father Brian Mee, Vicar of Finance and Pastor of St. Augustine's. But Monsignor Mee, who is honored by the Holy Father, along with uh, Monsignor Mark Potler, uh, is joining us today. So welcome, uh, Monsignor Mee. It has Bishop, a great ring to you. it. Yes, yes, yes. It goes well. Whatever happened to those other two vicars anyway? They are now greeters at Walmart in Wenatchee, and uh, they come to work on the weekends. But uh, Bishop Joe Tyson, who we keep inviting to be a guest, but uh, Joe's always giving keynotes all over the galaxy one of these days we'll have the great Bishop of Yakima, but he's hired, uh, he's hired both, father, of them, huh? both of them. Well, yeah. Yeah that, yeah. that might work. But I thought they were always dragging down your, uh, ratings. They were. Do you remember it. when we were going to have a television show? Then that, uh, Gina Vanelli from Endicott, Washington, Googled all three of you. And then she said, Bishop, it's great that you have a radio show. Uh, and <laughs> with faces like with those. Faces, exactly. Well, a lot is happening at the great past pastor of St. Augustine's. And so, we're inviting Monsignor Mee to talk a little bit um, about uh, this Lenten program on Dante's Inferno. So maybe what is Dante's Inferno, Monsignor? And uh, Brian, tell us a little bit about, um, again, why you chose it, uh, how's it being received, and our listening audience uh, who may have an experience of Dante's Inferno from uh, during their high school years or beyond. But a little bit, why Dante's Inferno? Well, I guess I'd step back first and say... Um, First, I remember that we're in the year of the Eucharist. So at St. Augustine's, we've done a number of things. Uh, we have a great website on the Eucharistic year. On there, you can find stories, uh, Eucharistic stories and art. And um, there's also a whole series on the Mass as well as um, Eucharistic saints. So we're in the year of the Eucharist, as, of course, Bishop, you know, and but now we're also in the year of Dante. And I say that because Dante died in the year 1321. And so this is the 700th anniversary. And probably it's been more celebrated in Italy, although uh, internationally as well. So being the year of uh, Dante, but also we're looking for something to do uh, in this Lenten season. Last year, we did a series on Lent in Lent. <laughs> I that suppose was, that uh, <clears throat> original. It was kind of creative. Mm -hmm. But uh, as, as I said, we, we have a series on the Eucharist on Mass as well. So it was, um, well, what could we do this year? And um, for some reason, it just sounded, for some reason, Dante came to mind, again, because of the year of Dante, perhaps. And recognizing that, uh, as you know, Mitchell mentioned before, well, he's, he's read the Inferno. Many have, have been introduced to the Inferno and have read parts of it either in school or on their own. But um, it can be somewhat daunting to get through Dante's Inferno and then his Purgatorio and Paradiso. But I thought, well, at least a good start. We could start in hell, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and hopefully we'll get out of hell. Well, what? Um, <clears throat> when did you first read um, 
Dante's Inferno. Well, I think I was, uh, it was second grade, at first uh, grade Mother at Sacred Sorrows. Heart. Sister Heart. Uh, Sharon Therese mm-hmm. had us all pick one of the cantos and we'd sing it. And Bishop, I don't know if you'd like me to sing. Probably not. But uh, I know that you, uh, when we had the bishops and vicars, when when the fan mail would come in primarily to you or actually to Father Pat Kirst, but the second <laughs> recipient was you. Um, they were always in awe of how gifted you were as a grade school student at Sacred Heart. Oh, yes. Yeah. Everyone was in awe of that, except for my teachers when I happened to be in grade school. They never seemed to be in awe of that. But in, I suppose back to Dante, uh, about eight or nine years ago, we actually did a program uh, on Dante at St. Peter's. Mm-hmm. And that was successful. And of course, that was in person. Um, and uh, it went all year long. And it was one of these actually that was, it was a greater teacher's program mm-hmm. or whatever. So we had videos to go with it. Well, of course, we can't meet in person anymore, uh, or at least in a group like that. And so um, this has been working out well as far as having this series. And so we're going through canto by canto. Mm-hmm. And in the uh, Inferno, if you count the introduction canto, there's 34. So that means daily, basically, Monday through Friday throughout Lent. So I hope those who remain, some will probably get lost in hell, mm-hmm. at some in some circle of hell. But the rest of us, if we make it, should be out by Good Friday. And that should be good news for you, Bishop, to know that we're getting out of hell. What do you, um, uh, for example, what's the format? So our listening audience, if they get on St. Augustine's website, they'll be able to... First, they donate. Okay, no, okay. no, no, no. Cash no, check or credit card. <laughs> yeah. But, okay. Uh, if they go to our website, I think it's self-explanatory from there. Uh, it gives, you know, you just um, a link. Mm-hmm. And then it will bring up all of the videos because, again... We started the Monday before Ash Wednesday. So this would be, what, the third week or whatever okay. we're into it. Uh, but they could catch up on that or just jump in. That might be a little more difficult, but perhaps not. I know there's some people who actually are studying this and using the video to help them uh, with that. Others are just listening to the video because they're so entertaining, you know. Now, are you, do you dress <laughs> in costumes when you present? <laughs> I uh, have not, but that's a fine idea, and maybe I should. The no, different uh, creatures we find in hell. Do you assign uh, members of the episcopacy or the presbyterate to the various characters that Dante meets along the way? Well, I would do that. Dante did that himself. He of did, course, as yes. you know, there's a number of popes uh, that we encounter, and even one, he had his place he left for. Um, of course, when the when this whole adventure or pilgrimage takes place, is in Holy Week of the year 1300. Mm-hmm. So it begins just before dawn of Good Friday in the year 1300. And that was a holy year, the first holy year, mm. called by Boniface VIII. And um, Dante had no love for Boniface VIII. And so... What, what, what was a, it? Can you explain a little bit? Why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, well, there's a number of reasons. One, just the way that uh, he got elected, and that became an issue. But so there was a place reserved in hell for Boniface VIII, even though he wasn't there yet. But his predecessor uh, was already there, Nicholas V, I think, mm-hmm. or Nicholas III, one of those, was already there. 
and he had um, a place prepared for even Bonif- Boniface's uh, successor as well. Oh. But he could do that because even though we're supposed to believe that this, this is his journey that we're going on with him, he actually, uh, and it takes place in 1300, and he's telling about this, he's actually writing it uh, after he had gone into exile. He was put into exile from Florence in 1302, so he's writing it after that time, after his exile. And so he never does get back to Florence. Hmm. And I know that some people say, oh, wait, that's not true because they have a monument to him in Santa Croce, the church uh, where where he's buried. Well, no, he wasn't buried there. They do have a place to put him if he ever gets back, but he's actually buried in Ravenna. Hmm. Ravenna would not return the body. They said, if you didn't want him in life, you can't have him in death. So actually... Uh, Dante is buried in Ravenna, and that's where he wrote most of uh, the comedy. It wasn't known as the Divine Comedy, just the Commedia, the comedy uh, in his day. Hmm. Have you? Um, now, I, it was it was read. I see written in the vernacular in Italian, so the average person could eventually read it. Or was that something innovative? Well, of course, the average person couldn't read, mm-hmm. uh, but those who could and very definitely he wanted it in the vernacular instead of latin and which most things were written in at that time and uh in part that's why it's understood to be a commedia comedy um because it's written in the vernacular instead of the high latin uh it's not dealing with tragedy would usually deal with kings and important persons and all the rest of it and of course it would end tragically uh, but we may say, well, why is Dante's uh, the Divine Comedy, why do we call it a comedy? I read it and I found nothing very funny in the whole thing. And of course, comedy, the difference between comedy and tragedy, uh, or one of the differences would be that a comedy ends on a happy note. Tragedy never does. It ends with tragedy. So the understanding of what comedy is, is a different sense than perhaps we have it. It's not laugh, laugh, funny. But it ends happily, but also it's written in kind of um, a lesser, you're not that high style. It's written, as you say, in the vernacular. And Italian was just, you know, uh, there were many dialects that you run across even in the comedy. But uh, that becomes kind of the the um, mother tongue, you know, Dante's Italian. Now, most for most people, <clears throat> when they um, hear about uh, Dante and the Inferno, they quote the line that you told me once when you enter the North American College. It's above all the entrance. Abandon <laughs> all hope, you who enter here. That's, that's what. That's, I, that's very that's welcoming. What, that's what I find when I go golfing. I find above, you know, the, <laughs> the clubhouse. Abandon all hope. I think mm-hmm. that's for uh, Paul Herrick. Uh, we'll have him on the show one of these days when, yeah, he's out of purgatory. Um, <laughs> what has been um, when you're any uh, feedback from the people so far? There's a part of it they like. Is there one of the one of the circles that they feel they um, <laughs> most comfortable most in? comfortable in, or they want again find put individuals in it? Um, well, maybe we could talk. I know we're coming up on a break here, mm-hmm. but maybe we could talk about a, a circle or two. But yeah, just as far as um, the people go, there's about 200 that are subscribed, mm-hmm. so that are following, or some have fallen off or fallen in hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
uh, I think more than anything, they just appreciate some type of uh, explanations we go through step by step. Sure. And um, I would imagine, again, we're going to come close to a break that one of the advantages of using the uh, literature uh, with religious themes is it kind of bridges that uh, area between the sec sacred and the secular, which is uh, so important. Um, I think that um, sometimes, as you mentioned earlier, Brian, that uh, the whole thing seems a bit daunting. So I think when you're given it almost uh, in, a, in a lecture series, kind of like the books on tape, or maybe things that people listen to when they're traveling on a podcast, it does allow them to get the gist of what, what is it about. But I think I'm very interested in, as far as um, what, um, if, if you were accompanying him, uh, where would you find the greatest horror or, uh, you know, <laughs> uh -oh. just, we're trying, this is, we, to boost the ratings, we have to have <laughs> names. Like, I have to have names and places. Yeah. So we're going to uh, take a break now. When we come back, we're, again, we're uh, talking to Monsignor Brian Mee, the pastor of St. Augustine. And in this year of the Eucharist, he has um, brought forth to his parishioners and beyond uh, a reflection on Dante's Inferno. Welcome back. I'm Bishop Daly, and joining with me is Monsignor Brian Mee, the pastor of St. Augustine's, and he's speaking to us on a series that St. Augustine's is offering this Lent on the Dante's Inferno. So without giving away where the talks will lead, because again, many of the parishes have, are offering Lenten programs, and uh, Monsignor Mee's goal is to outdo the cathedral and St. Thomas More. <laughs> one is having a color by numbers contest, and the other one is a one-man uh, musical by Father Pat Kirst, and he'll be featured uh, next uh, week in our show. But uh, Brian, tell us a little bit about the vestibule, I mean, that whole concept. What, what, is, what does he encounter there? Well, that's why, the, of course, uh, Virgil turns out to be his guide, and Virgil important. There's a number of reasons Virgil is, could be said to be chosen to be his guide or that Dante makes him his guide. Virgil, of course, was a great Roman poet. And Dante, of course, um, sees himself, and he is obviously a, a great poet. And uh, one of the things in just that, you know, we might say, well, that was kind of uh, Dante to put himself on the same level as Virgil, who was seen, you know, by the Western world as that great Roman poet, uh, that's kind of a prideful or something, but Dante really understood that whatever gifts or talents one has actually are the gifts from God, so and and to be used. So certainly he understood um, his talent as a poet uh, not being anything of his own, but truly a gift that he is treasure and to use that has been given him by God. But uh, Virgil is also his, seems to be his guide because uh, many of you will recall studying in your Latin class back in high school, the Aeneid. And that's uh, a work by Virgil. And in the sixth book of um, the Aeneid, Aeneas finds himself in the Inferno, finds himself in the underworld. So just that link as well, Virgil seems to be the right one to be guiding um, Dante through the underworld, and, and Virgil will stay with him all the way to the 30th canto of Purgatorio, and then um, others will, will guide uh, Dante beyond that. But one of the first places they run into, once they get across the river, and uh, they 
are in the vestibule, what's called the vestibule of hell. So before they actually get into hell itself. And um, one of the things, one of the concepts that's important to, to recognize in Dante is what's called contrapasso. And that is the punishment always somehow, uh, it relates to the sin. You can see almost uh, a mirror image of the sin in the punishment that one suffers. So again, the vestibule is the first souls we run into. And there we run into this, oh, just this howling and sweeping uh, area where wind is blowing and it's almost tornado force and these souls or dark shades, I think is what they would call them, are unable to be identified, but they're chasing after this banner before them that's also just um, is not is not situated, but is fluttering and flying uh, with the wind. And so these are the ones you find both the fallen angels or some of the fallen angels and um, humans there. And they're the ones that would never take a side. They never took a position. So the the angels are those in that great battle between Lucifer and Michael, the archangel in heaven. Uh, They didn't take a side. And then, of course, those from earth are those who never take a position either. So as they would not take a position in this life, they have no position in hell or heaven uh, in the afterlife. And so they're always, that's their agony, is uh, chasing after something that is never settled, you know, and, and that's... The summary has it as a chasing after a blank banner every day while hornets sting them and worms drink their blood and tears. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm glad you brought that, that wasn't up. Your first because I thought that would last be year, censored if I brought that no, up. No, no, no. So it's a You have sweep. hornets and wafts. They're mm-hmm. biting their faces. Are those the murder, the murder hornets coming, from China? dripping down, oozing down their faces and the pus down onto the ground. Mm. And then these worms in the ground in this muddy muck and sucking up this uh, pus and blood. Mm. Yeah. That wasn't your Christmas homily, nor your... Uh, it was. It's going to be the Easter it's homily. Easter homily, yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah, I'm sure there'll be letters into the chancery <laughs> after that. Um, what happens after after he what? he sees this? He's visibly shaken, probably. In one of these, doesn't one of the encounters that Dante faints, he passes out? Well, I'm glad you... Dante, of course, you see a progression with Dante mm-hmm. as well, and Virgil as well, more subtle perhaps with Virgil. But Dante in the beginning, I mean, he's this wimp of a guy. He's always so worried about everything. He doesn't know if he can go down into the underworld. And, and, you know, he mentions that only Aeneas has gone into the underworld and that sacred vessel, uh, Paul, has gone into the heaven. And he's no Paul and he's no Aeneas, so maybe he should just go back uh, and have some, you know, pasta somewhere in Italy. But uh, Virgil bolsters him up. So the Dante we see in the beginning is one who's very uncertain. He's also very sympathetic to those he sees, as he sees yeah. but that changes over time. Uh, there's a strength, a spiritual strength that he develops, but also an understanding uh, that God's justice is not necessarily our justice, but he comes to understand that we are to be accepting God's justice. And that becomes clear, oh, I can't remember, uh, one of the early circles, he asked, well, what about, you know, this guy and that guy and the other guy? 
And they were all such good people, you know, up in Florence doing good things. And you discover that all except one of them are actually in hell. Mm. <laughs> so for some reason, but again, it's, it's kind of uh, an unfolding of, uh, and Dante teaching us, of course, that what in our eyes may be just uh, is one thing, but we are to begin to see things through God's eyes. And, and that's how Dante, the whole um, divine comedy, for that matter, is, you know, he's taking things from politics and literature and uh, local politics and mythology. So everything, it's encyclopedic, his knowledge. Mm -hmm. that he's taking it, but it's all being filtered through the spiritual vision. Because after all, all these other things are somehow simply instruments to either assist or certainly um, perhaps uh, educate us on what our, our spiritual reality is. When he gets, he awakens in the third circle, um, the gluttonous are housed in this circle and forced to live in mud where they are rained on by filth and excrement. Now, I... <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, know, I, thought, I thought my last description would be in... Well, th this one's pretty graphic. And yeah, yeah. It kind of looks like a little bit of New San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> and I can say that it hasn't been there, but we don't want to... Uh, that's for another show. Um, <laughs> but um, Dante asks Virgil, what will happen to the souls in hell after the last judgment? And Virgil answers that since the last judgment will bring perfection to all the creation, the punishments of those in hell will be perfected as well. What do you see that as? Is this a preview of coming attractions? Uh, no, no. I mean, that's, uh, see, and that's one of those things. Well, what could he possibly yeah. mean by that? But what happens with the final judgment is our, we're reunited with our bodies. Mm -hmm. So we're imperfect in a way until we are joined body and soul. And so that's when those in heaven, uh, while they'll, uh, they'll, celebrate or they'll take part in that perfection, that heavenly perfection uh, and perfect joy, just as those in hell now will uh, come to that perfect uh, punishment and that perfect suffering, if you will. So that's what, what he means by that. The body and the soul will be joined together. And only when the body and soul are joined together, the entire being, will there be perfection mm -hmm. either in uh, sheer exaltation of sharing in heaven or in the uh, complete suffering of hell. Later on, without getting ahead and, and uh, giving, giving too much away, and we'll, again, our listening audience should uh, to in, tune in for uh, St. Augustine's offering and find out from uh, Monsignor Me and listen closely uh, and stay committed to it. But uh, it's always good to know a little bit what's coming down the pike. What about um, in kind of the summary when he's in Canto 8, he um, his moving away from that initial fright and pity that you talked about. He sees an individual being ripped apart, um, and he takes a little bit of joy in that. Um, and again, your your notion of justice that um, God's justice is not our justice, um, and thank God for that. But um, do you find that um, when you're giving these presentations on it, do you comment perhaps on? Um, challenging the listening audience or those who are viewing you to uh to move more to seeing things how god sees them or us or you're just are you perhaps not wanting well, to take I, a stand <laughs> i thought you were going to ask me if um 
I asked them if they have any particular ones they would find in hell. Yes, I think that might be therapeutic uh, for that. Because Dante, of course, he's putting, um, unfortunately, we don't have time to go into the whole political scene of Florence, but um, but there was a lot going on. So I guess we'll have to leave it at that. And so he had a lot of political enemies. And as mentioned before, uh, he was exiled from Florence. He was very involved in government and politics. And as a matter of fact, um, he puts one of his teachers, who he respected, Brunello Latini, he puts him in hell. <laughs> and the reason he does that is because uh, Latini so inspired him to use the gift of words and um, rhetoric uh, to win over people through political means. But that, of course, leads to eventually to his own exile. And so uh, because of that, he thinks, well, you know, so Latini winds up in, in hell, even though he respects the guy and for other reasons as well. But it just I know we only have a few a minute left or so, but it's interesting. And Dante comes to this realization. It's only when he's in exile, actually, is he able to see his world and his reality in a more objective way and the purpose of his life um, in a more uh, in a clearer way. Mm-hmm. So once he's taken out of all the politics and all of the, you know, daily events of um, of Florence. When does he, um, again, uh, when does he get out of hell? Is it on Easter morning? Uh, yes, they okay. wind up uh, and they see the stars and then, mm-hmm. you know, they reach the gates of purgatory. Not here, I think that we'll have to wait till Canto 1 of mm-hmm. um, Purgatorio. But yes, so the whole thing is taking place again. Um, begins just before dawn of Good Friday, and then it takes you basically through those that time of the Triduum. For those who are listening, is there a translation or um, maybe a particular uh, edition that you think would be helpful uh, for our people to listen? Well, just to read, I th- uh, Dorothy Sayers has a very good one. Uh, Mark Musa is good. Um, John Giardi. Uh, is another one, uh, Alan Mandelbaum. The most perhaps um, academic one would be John Singleton. And uh, he has, you know, the text is in one volume, a short little volume. And then he has for each the um, Inferno, Purgatorio, and uh, Heaven, Paradiso. He has a whole other volume just on commentary. And uh, the commentary for each is you know, like mm. three times the size of the, the text itself. So, so one of those, you know, I wouldn't, um, Longfellow, actually, the poet came out with one uh, in his lifetime, but that's, it's further away from the actual, you know, um, actual being faithful to the translation of Dante. So one of the, uh, again, we're almost out of time, but um, I'm interested in the, uh, one of the uh, those who are seen as uh, guilty of spiritual theft, um, the sowers of scandal and schism. Um, maybe that's for another show. And then from your vast experience studying in Europe and your knowledge of um, church figures from the last uh, few centuries, who you might um, might want to give us a little bit of insight because you know we have to kind of get these ratings up. 
And, um, so, anyway, we're, we thank uh, Monsignor Brian Mee, the pastor of St. Augustine's. He's speaking to us about uh, a series at St. Augustine's, which is available uh, by visiting com on Dante's Inferno. And again, all of this is not just, it's not a literary book study group. It's actually uh, helping, uh, God willing, um, the faithful of our diocese to enter more deeply into the season of Lent doing it through a creative way of literature and spirituality. And again, we thank uh, Monsignor Mee for joining us. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Walking in Faith with Bishop David is a production of the Catholic Diocese of Spokane. Walking in Faith is produced and edited by Mitchell Malmquist. It can be heard on Sacred Heart Radio, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcasting apps.